Today, let's ask the question, what does biblical womanhood mean? What does it mean for us as women who are pursuing Jesus? And how do we live in biblical womanhood? Today, I'm having a conversation with my friend Stephanie Cochran, and we are discussing biblical womanhood which is a topic that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So we want to define what that means in our conversation and then move on to our personal experiences with biblical womanhood and also what does scripture tell us? We both have a very high regard for scripture. And as we encourage people in our own communities and in our own faith communities to dig deeply into scripture and to ask a difficult question, seeking the truth and seeking honest answers, we want to have a firm foundation. So we want to look at does the Bible give us more steps or more practices that will make us biblical women, or does it give us more tr character traits? And where do we turn this conversation around towards us when we really need to turn it back around to following Jesus? And so we have an awesome conversation. Uh, we hope that this prompts you to have your own discussions and really ask these questions yourself. Evaluate for yourself what your beliefs are, where they come from, if they're tradition, if they are biblical, and hopefully we can build stronger faiths together and know what the Bible says about these topics. So here's our conversation. Hey, Steph Cochran, how are you doing? I'm doing so good. I'm glad to be here with you today. Me too. Why don't you give everybody a little background about yourself and all the exciting things you're doing? You have so many cool things going on right now. Um, well, I'm a writer. I write uh, for Christians who want to acknowledge their doubts but hold on to their faith, um, who are struggling to wrestle with questions that can sometimes feel threatening, depending on what um, a tradition of Christianity you know you're you've been a part of, and um, so I write for them uh, primarily on Instagram, and I. Uh, I have a podcast that's on hiatus right now called The Small Group Show with uh, my co-host and friend Keisha Sedgwick. And um, yeah, I just, I have always been a spiritually curious person. And so I write for spiritually curious Christians and I just believe that um, God is not angry or threatened or repulsed by our questions and uh, our curiosity. I think that uh, any genuine search for truth can only be a good thing. And so I'm trying to encourage other Christians in that. So good. There's so many people I've recently referred over to your page and your community now because it's so good, especially in this deconstruction world that we live in, whether people think that's right. bad or ugly. It's so good to have like a safe community to do that in, which is why I think it, you're perfect to have this conversation about biblical womanhood with, because it's kind of just like a weird, a weird topic and a weird term that we use, kind of like evangelical or like deconstruction, even where it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And it's yeah. really good to ask honest questions about like, first of all, what does this even mean? But also, why do I practice this way? Why do I do these things? And just asking difficult questions and then trying to get the most honest answer. Yeah, absolutely. Answer. Awesome. So let's start there with what does this term even mean? So when we're talking about it today, or at least I guess I'll let you define it for yourself as well, but when I'm 
when I think of biblical womanhood, when I'm talking about it with other people, usually I'm thinking of the way that the Bible kind of like a code of conduct almost. I, that's kind of a really weird way to phrase it, but mm-hmm. the guidelines or instructions that the Bible has set out for women, just like it would be for biblical right. women. Um, and we're going to talk about what does that look like? Does that mean you follow step A, B, and C? Does that mean it's a certain set of characteristics that you're instructed to have, so on and so forth? But is there anything that you that comes to mind for you? Like, I have a lot of stereotypes, I think, that come to my mind. When yeah. I think that. What about you? Well, I was actually thinking, I wonder if we could reframe a little bit, because I think the term biblical womanhood or biblical manhood is um, often what you just said, like a, um, a set, I have a paint all over my hands, I've been painting today, <laughs> um, a set uh, group of characteristics or stereotypes or like job titles, gender roles that Christians um, have sort of like decided, oh, we, this is, you know, what we've decided means that you're doing a good job as a Christian man or a Christian woman. And, um, and those are things that are also those two terms, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood are being talked a lot right now, uh, talked a lot about right now um, in that framework, framework of like, let's examine these set of Christian stereotypes. And I wonder if women in the Bible, not like you, I'm not saying you have to, you have to say this differently. I'm just saying, if we could think about it, like women in the Bible, what does the, what does scripture say about women? N- not necessarily this box that we've drawn around it as evangelical Christians. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's okay. good. Like, like you said, like I was saying before, it's one of those things that it means like it could mean something totally different to someone else if having not had the background laid out for them about what we're discussing. And also I think it's interesting too, because you might think of biblical womanhood or manhood as just looking at like all of the men and women in the Bible when not all of them were like, not all the stories are prescriptive. A lot of them are just descriptive. Right. So there's a lot of characters in the Bible that we should not model our life. Right. Right. That's a good a good distinction to make. That's really good. And I think when very often when scripture has a directive that is specifically given to women, it is um, often referring to marriage or motherhood because only a woman is a wife, only a woman is a mother. Um, But we have often in modern evangelicalism, we've taken those passages and said, oh, because they were talking to women right here, this is what it means to be a woman that pleases God. Only this stuff right here, just this. Yeah. Uh, and when really all the scripture is for women, <laughs> even if it doesn't say, hey, ladies, <laughs> like God has preserved um, and provided scripture for us. For, for all of humankind, not just for men, not just for women, not just for us in 2022, but for all of all of time and all of human history. And uh, so I think those specific passages really matter 
they just are specific passages <laughs> for specific groups of women and not necessarily for all women in every culture and time and relational situation and all of that. So. Right. And we get a vast, just a variety of women in different, I mean, it's different because it's the Middle East, like 2000 plus sure. years ago. So sure. it's like the workforce looks a lot different than it does here, but we have women in a lot of different life stages in a lot of different places, a lot of different relationships that they have. So um, we'll get into that as well. But I think I, I like that point that you make. It seems like, like when I'm thinking of stereotypes of biblical womanhood within the church or what does that look like? I think of women's retreats or women's luncheons, or it's usually like a women's tea party and there's lots of like mm -hmm. noilies and teacups. And it's typically only about Ruth, Esther, or Proverbs 31, which right. it gets a little bit frustrating. Like you said, it's, it's useful for us. Like it typically 316 tells us all scripture is useful for us, but that's the point. Right. All scripture, we don't just have to focus on these specific passages about mothers or wives or, and when you think about it, Ruth and Esther are kind of weird stories to use. Yeah. Like, they're pretty yeah. complex and like really complicated and odd. And so it's weird that we use those, but kind of, I think it's just because they're about women sometimes. And I think, right. honestly, I think that it's usually women that kind of put the limitations on ourselves in these contexts. Like we almost think we can't dig deeper. And I don't even think in a lot of cases it's male leadership or pastors. I think it's honestly like women thinking that we can only handle this surface level or we can only talk about these certain topics within this, which is womanhood is so complex and it looks so different for every person. And there's a lot of shared experiences that we have, but it's weird that we kind of limit ourselves to these, these specific passages and things. Yeah, definitely. Let's get into the question of, what does this even mean? Whatever you want to call it, this biblical womanhood term, being a woman who exemplifies Christ, um, whatever your term for this is, is it a specific lifestyle? Does it mean that we dress a certain way? Does it mean that we look a certain way? Does it mean that we have to be a stay-at-home wife, a stay-at-home mom, etc.? Obviously, I would disagree with all those statements, but where would you start if somebody asked you those questions? Uh, if somebody asked me, what does it mean to be a woman that follows Jesus? Is that the question? Right. Like a woman who has Christ-like qualities, is it something that like is it a set of character traits? Is it a, right. you have to check off A, B, and C boxes? Um, I think if someone asked me that, I would probably, my first response would be being a woman that follows Christ means the same thing as being a man that follows Christ. It, you're, um, the, the, the calling of Jesus and the standard that he sets forth is not different um based on your gender it's just not um and if we were gonna take his own words then the highest you know broadest calling would be that we love the lord our god with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And I, I, I love that that's the highest and broadest command because 
that expresses itself in so many different ways across time and culture and gender. Um, but the expression of the calling and the way that all of those things are different and look different person to person, that's not, that's not a different calling. That's not everybody having a different calling. That's everybody expressing and walking out that calling in different ways. Um, I, one thing that I talk about a lot is uh, honesty with the Lord. And I just think that um, as we learn to be honest with God about who we really are and what we really think and um, all of those things that we, we tend to sort of feel like we have to like put our best foot forward um, with God and we don't have to. And as we learn that we don't have to, then trust and intimacy grows. So, I mean, I would definitely say that a characteristic of somebody who is following after Jesus closely is that there's a trust and an intimacy there that I'm not, that I'm not just trying to check a box. I'm not, um, I don't know, filling out a profile, trying to make a match or you know, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm getting to know a person and allowing myself to be known as well and doing the, uh, putting in the time, I don't love that phrase, um, because that sounds like duty and obligation. What I mean is building relationships takes time, and when you, when there is a person you want to, when there's a person you want to get to know, and you want to get to know them, you spend time with them, and everyone has an understanding that the more time you spend with a person over time, the better you get to know them, the closer you are, the more intimacy there is. And so I think that, um, I think, yeah, that broad, like the greatest commandment that Jesus set out for us is one thing. And then just a continual sort of day by day, moment by moment, uh, building of trust and intimacy. And again, that expresses itself differently, person to person, culture to culture, era to era. Um, I don't know. That's if you were just a random person that asked me that, <laughs> then I would probably ask you a lot more questions before I gave that answer. But that—that's my very simplified answer. I think that's so good, and I like that you brought in the relationship aspect of that. It's interesting too. I would say I don't have a very fundamentalist view maybe of men and women's roles. And we're not really talking today about egalitarianism or complementarianism or what women's roles are in the church if you think they belong in leadership. Um, but because we want you to dig deeply into scripture and ask those questions for yourselves. But I think that even if you took the most fundamentalist complementarian reading of scripture, like you were saying, in the New Testament and what the New Testament authors and Paul give us as direction for men and women, I think there would only be like three specific things that would be for women and not for men, like three specific, like um, women should do this or something. Like I said, if you took like a very sure. fundamentalist reading of that, but like you're saying, most of the instruction that we get, especially in the New Testament and most of the direction that we get is for all believers. It really doesn't matter. Mm your gender, it really doesn't matter what role you have 
even in the workplace or if you were a stay-at-home mother or something like that, it's a lot about your relationship with Christ and then therefore how that translates into your relationship with others, how you show up as a as a member of the body of Christ and so on. So that's a really good point to make. My dog is, he's never been locked outside, so he's having a little bit of trouble at the doggy door. <laughs> um, so as we keep going through this, I think it's important to talk about the marriage mom aspect of this because there's kind of this, some groups of women will tell you this straight out, but I think most of the groups that I've been a part in, it's been kind of just an underlying assumption that you should be or you will be a mother or a wife. Mm -hmm. And that's just not biblical, but also just not true for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it seems like when we come to this topic of biblical womanhood, we often want it to fit our narrative, I think. Like we want mm -hmm. to say, I'm an egalitarian, so I need this to fit what I my ideology is. Or I'm a complementarian, so I want to read it like that instead of instead of applying the Bible to our ideology, or we should be applying our ideology to the Bible, vice versa. What I'm saying right. is we need to start from scratch and look at this and then figure yeah. out what we believe based on that. Yeah. So I think it's important to look obviously at First Corinthians, the author of First Corinthians, Paul is saying, um, do whatever. First Corinthians 7:35, he says, do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best. Again, like you were saying. We're really making it about ourselves often when we really need to come back to what does our relationship with Christ look like? And are we loving mm -hmm. him with all of our heart, soul, and mind? And how is that translating into other areas in our lives? And also, if biblical womanhood were only to be fulfilled, like you're the highest calling of your life was to be married and to have children, what would that mean for women who are divorced or who mm -hmm. lose their husband or who aren't able to have children? Um, that's kind yeah. of a critical thing if that was the whole calling of your life and the whole reason for you. <laughs> and also, what would it mean for a 15-year-old? What, nothing yeah. that she's done up to this point has mattered? Should nothing, like, you're just waiting around for the first 20 years of your life or right. meaning to start when you finally meet a man? Like, no. Right, exactly. <laughs> also, also, I do think that um, uh, we can we can fall off the horse the other way too, where we're like, marriage doesn't matter, parenthood doesn't matter, every this is overhyped. Like, no, you know, no one, you know, getting married or having children or staying home with those children or whatever is just antiquated and irrelevant and if you still like those things, then you're just like brainwashed or whatever. And that's not true either. Like, um, God, God highly values the family. He highly values marriage and parenthood. He, he uses those metaphors in describing his, his relationship. I mean, the relationships within the Trinity and his relationship to humanity and to the church. So obviously those things are highly valued. Um, I think the mistake that has been made is that very subtly, sometimes we can say, oh, I think marriage is going to save you. I think, I think motherhood is going to save you. I think this is going to be ultimate for you. And it's not, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just not, um, 
our ultimate value, our saving, our identity it can is only in Jesus. And, and we can't, anything else that we try to put on that pedestal, it, we're going to be disappointed. Um, so I think what, I think if we believe, if we believe that marriage and motherhood uh, is this ultimate thing, then of course, anybody who's not married and doesn't have kids, we're like, oh, I'm sorry that your existence is substandard. <laughs> like, you know, right. uh, and, and that's logical. Uh, we just don't always realize that that's what we're believing. Um, and uh, then, oh, I need to stick one of these puppies into charge so that they don't both die. Um, yeah, and then we're like, we're also like, cause you and I are both married. If we, it, it, it sucks not only for single people, but it also sucks for married people because then you get married and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel like the ultimate fulfillment of my life. Right. Like it's nice. Like my husband, glad I'm married to him, but it's also like this. Is this is it. the pinnacle? Right. You did it. <laughs> oh. Oh. And um yeah, we just we just gotta lay that, we gotta lay that idol down. I'm not saying that marriage isn't valuable. I'm not saying that motherhood isn't valuable, but it's not ultimate. And I think that sometimes we've made it ultimate also interesting because I think we keep going back everyone's like look at Paul I'm like look at Jesus he was also not married in a yeah. time when it would be pretty weird for a man of his age to be an unmarried guy yeah it's, it's kind of goes back to just like we are trying to make a list of things for people to conform to to be kind of like our idea of the standard of what it means to be a biblical person whatever that means to you when it just doesn't work. Like if you try to apply those standards across the board, it doesn't work for everyone. And like that first yeah. Corinthians seven passage says, like, like you said, the answer isn't just, we all don't get married or we all do get married. It's whatever is going to help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. That's mm -hmm. what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. So I think when we're talking about this, we always dive into Proverbs 31 because that's kind of like the ultimate biblical woman yeah. passage for people. Yeah. And so I think that's another good place to start when we're looking at this question of, is this giving us a list of tasks or a list, list of characteristics to kind of um, use as our example or to mm -hmm. emulate, which again, are, are Christ-like qualities that we see here. But mm -hmm. this would be pretty wild. And I, I really don't know, I don't know if I could think of anyone that would say, Proverbs 31 is a list of things to do. Even the people that I know who would probably be the most like dogmatic and rigid about how they read scripture. I mm -hmm. don't know anyone that would say you have to complete this whole list of tasks because like you were saying, it just wouldn't apply across the board to everyone. Not just is it like right. totally unreasonable to say that you have to meet all of these. Yeah, like I can't plant a vineyard on my second story concrete balcony. That's like I just fair. Can't do that, you know. <laughs> I live in a townhouse, so I, I understand. Um, yeah. And also what we would be saying to, we would be saying to women who are in the workplace, we would be saying, you have to be a stay-at-home mom, and you have to be um, a wife, and you have to 
make clothes for your kids. But then also to the stay-at-home moms, we would have to say like, well, you have to be a real estate agent and you have to make clothes and sell them and you have to be like a merchant mm -hmm. ship. Like it says, you know, it would be really dangerous for us to try to say that. Just like it would be yeah. if we took another passage, like you said, for men, we wouldn't really do that and say, this is all the expectations that you have to meet to meet this pinnacle right. of, of womanhood. Right. But it's, I think it's also worth saying, I, I fully agree that we're, I mean, it's like you said, it's, it would be totally illogical to say that like, oh yes, these specific tasks are required of you to be like a spiritual woman or whatever. Um, that would be ridiculous. Uh, and I do think that there are certainly, that we can certainly pull principles from this and, and characteristics, like you said, but it's also worth saying um, that, and this is something that like, I did not even, did not even come across my radar until I was an adult woman, but this is a mother's desire. This is a mother's ideal for her son. And like, yeah, from, I have three sons reading this from that perspective. I'm like, yes, all of these things, please, because I want, I want the ideal for my son. And I think that's really clarifying too. Not that, again, not that we toss this out and we say this is not applicable and it's antiquated and it doesn't matter, but understanding it for what it is, it's a list of ideals, not, um, and, it, and they are from a mother. Uh, this isn't, this is in scripture. And I believe that scripture is authoritative and that it's inspired by God, all of it. Um, but these are not the direct words of God, where God is saying, hear ye all womankind forever. <laughs> this is what you, what you need to be. This is the, the heart of a mother who loves her son, who's saying, oh my gosh, baby cakes, I would love for you to have all of these things in a wife. Um, I don't know. And when I realized that that was very freeing and clarifying for me that like, oh, well, of course I can take care of my family well. And of course I can choose to be hardworking and, uh, you know, carry myself well and not be like a gossip or a slob or whatever. Of course I can work on those things, but like God is not ticking down the list and giving me a grade based on this passage. So that's a good observation to make because I think you could have the most incredible relationship with your mother-in-law and it would still be a complicated relationship. Yeah. And so when you think of it in that sense, then it's like, oh, well, of course this makes sense. And also, like you said, it's weird that we take this and make it like the universal standard instead of looking right. at actual historical women that the Bible tells us are godly who right. are set as examples for us. And we don't, we don't use them as our examples. We use this passage that is a really mm -hmm. specific passage. And even within that context, if you're reading it, like this is a universal standard, it still would be like, it's a woman who she's enriching the life of people around her. She's taking care of people in her life. She's care of people in need. She's not selfish. She's hardworking. Mm -hmm. She's kind. Um, and even if you didn't have a traditional family, like it's, if it's not prescriptive, then what would that mean? Then, you know, taking mm -hmm. care of the people in your life who you do have 
intimate yeah. relationships with and those kind of things. So yeah, it's weird. The, the traditions that we have that we kind of just start adapting and taking as gospel truth that, I mean, obviously, like you said, this is inspired scripture. It is truth, but it's weird that we have like manipulated some things and overshadowed other things. It's, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I've heard it's, it's weird too, because I've heard both sides of people who strongly believe that women do not belong in leadership, that they only should be involved in women's ministry and children's ministry. And then people who are also very, uh, pro-women pastors, pro-women in leadership, women elders, and they both use this passage to try to make it fit their narrative. You're like, they'll say, yeah. oh, look, see, she is yeah. in the workplace. She's leading. Oh, but look, she's at the home and all her walks around the home. So, and, and, I, and I'm like, guys, maybe it's not relevant for either one. <laughs> maybe there's other places, other passages to look at for those positions, but I don't think this is one of them. <laughs> and also, like we're going to kind of look at next, the culture that you're in really determines a lot about what you and the people around you think about womanhood. So mm -hmm. in our American context today, the stereotype of femininity is even different than it was 30 years ago, 100 years ago. It looks a lot different the way that yeah. feminine people dress or act or the things that they do. And so I think it's also interesting that we kind of uh, this is from my personal experience. So in previous communities that I've been in, faith communities, it seems like there's kind of a standard as well to be really feminine in a really specific way to that community. So in the, mm -hmm. in the groups that I've been a part of, it's looked like dressing in a very feminine way and maybe having really feminine interests in, according to their standards, like what does that even mean? Right. But in that context, it was like maybe cooking or even sewing or things around the home, um, dressing in a way that was really was a lot of dresses and skirts and things mm -hmm. like that. But when we look at that, we have to really be careful not to take gender stereotypes and link them to biblical standards or biblical femininity, yeah. because that can get really messy and it gets really legalistic quickly. Mm -hmm. Because even when we look at our context today, we can say, well, men on average are taller than women, but just because a man is a man is short, that doesn't make him not a man. Or just because right. on average, more women prefer pink or the bachelor or dresses over football and blue and whatever, that doesn't mean that all women are like that's the standard for all women. And if you right. don't like those things, then you're not. Um, and that's an interesting conversation, especially when we get into gender identity and things mm -hmm. of that nature. And it seems like weirdly almost the left and the right on the far sides kind of agree on this issue that if you don't conform to these ideas, mm -hmm. um, something isn't right with you. And that's strange because yeah. we don't get that from any biblical standard. And that's a complicated right. topic, but I think it's important to bring that up because we want to bring our ideals and our cultural idea ideals into this, into this equation of what it looks like mm -hmm. to be biblical. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the um the superimpose the superimposing of our cultural and personal gender stereotypes onto scripture just really causes a lot of confusion. Um, even as a a young girl, I wasn't well, I mean I'm still not, but I um 
growing up, I wasn't like um, as emotionally expressive as a lot of my, the, the girls my age. And I didn't have a lot of the same instincts about like fashion and makeup and uh, like m- music and just all shows and all of the things that were like marketed and whatever as like the girl things. And I was like, I wanted to talk about, and I don't mean like I was like some brilliant kid or anything, but I just like, I was interested in like, I don't know, what's everybody reading? (laughs) Like I wanted to talk about like deep, you know, thoughts and our inner life and stuff. And I, if I had, and not like I didn't have any crushes, but if I had a crush, I'm like, I'm not talking to you about that. Like, I don't know. There was this whole, I felt so like a total fish out of water. And there was a period of time where I was like, am I going to grow up and be gay? Like, like, I don't feel that attracted to women, but I definitely feel like I'm not a girly womanly person either like what and I have a I mean just for to for clarification for people I have a pretty traditional view of of marriage and of our biological sex and all of those things but it took me a long time like until I don't know, a long time (laughs) to come to a place where I was like, oh, I am a woman because God designed my body to be a female body. And I am a biblical woman or like a, a, a woman who follows Jesus or whatever, because I have a female body and I follow Jesus. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> really like all, it's not like, oh, well, I wear skirts and I don't know. Like, it's I, ridiculous. And, it, I, I and, and, and the reverse is true too. Like I, I know plenty of men who are like, I just want to play the violin and grow my hair long and wear lavender. Like, and people are like, oh, has he come out yet? Like, or like, is he, he's not, someone needs to talk to, who needs to take him hunting? If he just knew about the amazing power of a 30-06, then he would really be close to Jesus. And it's like, no, like, you're, yeah. Yeah. I think I feel that. This, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, I think I feel that today, even there's weird things that I would fit into a very stereotypic, stereotypical, like, I guess just American female of like, I really like clothes and shopping and shoes and I like cooking and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then I think today I feel a little bit out of place in some maybe women's Bible studies or something kind of like what we talked about earlier, because it feels like it's not a space where a lot of people are asking difficult questions or they're like, what's the history of this? Or like, let's mm-hmm. get out and like, we'll be the Britannica. And not because I'm like, yeah, very intellectually inclined. I'm really not. It's just that I, it seems like those spaces, I don't fit in a, in a way that 
it seems like, it seems like, maybe this is my projection on things, I'm sure it is, but it seems like there's kind of also this unspoken rule in some women's circles where it's like, we don't really ask questions and we don't really pipe up. We kind of just sit down yeah. and we listen to our lesson about marriage and kids. And then we go home and we come back next week. Yeah. So, yeah. I used to always feel like I, you shouldn't, if it's a women's Bible study, you shouldn't say anything too deep. You shouldn't say anything too um, complicated. I don't mean like, cause they're all stupid, but it, like, it was just a feeling of like, I shouldn't go anywhere that could be like a can of worms. I shouldn't ask any like open-ended questions. I shouldn't, sh even sh in some scenarios, I shouldn't share anything that's like too personal about like how God is dealing with me. Um, so in a women's Bible study, I often have felt that way. In a mixed, like a small group, you know, mixed company situation. Oh my gosh, the, the, um, the scorekeeping vibe is real. Like don't speak more than the men do, particularly don't speak more than your husband if you're married. And when you speak, don't say anything smarter than any of the men said or, or like more, you know, with more spiritual depth or anything because like, and, and no one has ever said this to me. I don't want it like, and I know there are churches and communities where these types of things are said and there's this overt you know, a domineering abusive situation. And that's not my story. Um, but like the communities that I have been a part of largely have been loving, kind, genuine communities who just want to love Jesus and, and are doing that the best way they know how. So like that might just be in my own head, that's but either, <laughs> either way, like it's in there. And I even said that to um, to Trevor, my husband, the other night. We were talking about a similar thing, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I always used to feel like um, I shouldn't, like I shouldn't um, sort of ever outshine you or something in a in a mixed situation." And he was like, "That's stupid," <laughs> um, but that's yeah, but that is how it feels. And so, so there's a. Yeah, there are sort of surface level stereotypes sometimes of like, yeah, you should like shopping and food or I mean, shopping and cooking and whatever else. Yeah. Um, but there's can be like a spiritual stereotype too of like, again, no one has ever said this to me. Um, but the feeling I've had inside is like, women are spiritually inferior. So make sure that, you know, you act like you're spiritually inferior make sure that you are behaving like you don't know as much or you don't think as deeply even if you do <laughs> uh, and really I am just in the last two years or so recognizing that in myself and trying to figure out like wow I've this is not just not true to scripture and not true to Jesus it's probably not true to a lot of the communities I've been part of where that I felt that way so I need to you know, untangle this and figure out how to, how to not be that way anymore. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, 
feel that. And I, for me, it's like, I feel like if I'm having a conversation in, you don't have a small group, but it, in a conversation with other Christians and it's a mixed setting, or it's like with a pastor or something like that, it feels like I need to have a bachelor's degree in the subject if I bring it up because it's almost, it, and again, like you said, I feel like this is my projection. No one has said this to me either, but it feels like if you're a woman and you're going to dare to engage in this theological discussion, you better know every answer inside and out. If you're going to like yeah. jump into this, have your credentials prepared. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise you can sit on the side and just quietly listen. So there is yeah. a lot of of deeper things, I think, that come with the stereotypes that we have that aren't just appearance-based, although that is a really big part of it, and especially in the area that I live in for some reason, it's very, um, I think it's a mixture of cultures and religions, but that's a really big part of it as well, and so I've always mm -hmm. felt like I have an in, like at least I'm feminine in this way, you know, even if I don't fit <laughs> in this other way, Yeah. but as I continue to look into scripture, it's even now, it's, it's hard to separate those two things and separate the ideologies that you've adapted, even if they're not something that someone has straight up told you, but that have kind of been underlying as a part of your mm -hmm. Christian journey. But I think, uh, to the point you were talking about earlier, I also would say I have a very traditional biblical sexual ethic when it comes to uh, same-sex marriages or same-sex relationships or as far as like your gender identity goes, uh, like reflecting that, um, that's a super complicated topic. And I, yeah. Preston Sprinkle has a lot of really good resources for these things and a lot of really good conversations. He has a podcast called Theology in the Raw and his book Embodied is specifically about yeah. gender issues. And that's a super good, super biblical, really well-researched book, really good tool. But I think even in this even as we're looking at, okay, so maybe it doesn't mean that we follow step A, B, and C. It's not that we have to abandon all of these things. It's not that we leave this all behind. I think a lot of times we want to try to fix it with like, we have to fix the church with conservatism or we have to fix it with right. colonialism. When really we just have to fix it with actually reading scripture and understanding it within its cultural and historical context mm -hmm. and applying it to our situation. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times that looks like starting from scratch. And that's, uh, I know deconstruction, the word itself just scares people a lot. But I think I heard someone, um, I can't remember who it was. I think Phil Vischer on the Holy Post was saying that it's kind of like you're just taking apart these packages that we've had together. Like we associate the book of womanhood with dressing a certain way and acting a certain way and being quiet and sitting in the back. But we don't have to throw it all away. We don't have to throw it in the trash. We don't have to abandon mm -hmm. the things that we like. Or mm -hmm. if we do fit into the stereotype of femininity in a certain way, we don't have to abandon that. But it just means that we're unbundling it from all these unbiblical standards that we've associated right. with. It kind right. of reminds me of the purity culture conversation in a lot of ways. Because it just feels like we have set this standard that we're telling people is gospel truth. That we're telling people is biblical that we're mm -hmm. really either manipulating scripture or we're just applying our own beliefs and desires right. onto something and right. saying, well, this is good. So it must be biblical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think of, um, I listened to that conversation with Phil Vischer too. And I, I liked what he had to say. 
I think of um, deconstruction as like like a home, like a house. And uh, some people are gonna come along and 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 move into a home, purchase a home, and there are things that need to be done. Like, I don't know, it's been neglected. There's, you know, peeling paint or what have you, or like weird smells, and you have to figure out where they're coming from. And sometimes to build up the home and ultimately preserve the home for, uh, for generations, you have to like tear down some walls or like, like peel back, you know, peel back some wallpaper, like what's, oh, mold, like we let's scrape this away, you know, or whatever. And of course, um, like I've, I've, I have lots of conversations with, um, Christians who are saying, hey, don't you think what you're doing is leading people astray and going to cause them to lose their faith? And of course, just like there are people who are going to buy a house for the express purpose of bulldozing it down and doing something else completely different, of course, there are people who are going to go, oh, this smells weird. I don't, I don't like this paint color, burn it all down. Of course that's going to happen. Uh, but that doesn't mean that a committed homeowner who, who loves that house shouldn't repaint <laughs> or like go up in the attic and see why it smells like a rotting rat and throw the rotting rat out. <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean that that shouldn't happen. Um, yeah. And we shouldn't tell people, if you're going to buy a house, you better like it. Because once you buy the house, you can't ever change anything about that house. No, it's preposterous. Like, of course, we want, just like we were talking about the relationship aspect earlier, you don't actually want any intimate relationship long-term you don't want it to always stay just like it was in the beginning. Like you want to grow and change and improve and grow deep in your intimacy. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you lose it? Are you with me? Can you hear me? I can, I can hear you. Okay, can you still hear okay. Me? okay, okay. Um, you want that growth and change to happen um, whether it, it's a sibling relationship or a parent-child relationship or a marriage relationship or, or dear friends. And it should be the same with the Lord that I'm, I, it's not like, okay, I'm going to decide to follow Jesus and I'm locked into this exact box and version and expression of that faith from here on out till glory. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't think that that is the way healthy relationships should be. So, and it's, I don't know, but you didn't ask me to come talk about deconstruction though. No, but yeah. that's, I think that that's a part, whatever your term, your preferred term is for it, whatever you unbundling or deconstruction or separating your traditions from your beliefs or what did, yeah, I did really like they all made fun of him, but I did really like Phil's I can't remember what he said. I just listened yesterday. It was like separating your 
I don't remember, but it was re-examining. Oh yeah. Something yeah. about traditions. Re-examining my, my former traditions of faith or something. Separating I like, I like re-examining a lot. Yeah. Like I'm not, it's not demolition. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking a sledgehammer to things. I'm just like, huh, would it be better? Would it be more open in here if we took down that wall? Would it, would it not stink so much if I threw out this rat? Like, or just asked why, why does it do this? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I do think that's a really important aspect to bring into this because when you do those things, when you deconstruct or separate your traditions from your current beliefs, whatever it is that you're calling it, when you do that, you have to do it in a safe, I mean, you don't have to, but like if you are pursuing Christ and you're pursuing the truth, then we're using scripture as our starting point, but also our ending point as our final authority and doing it within a safe space and not just like you said, burning the whole house down. But it's a really important part of this. And I think the purpose of these conversations of this specific conversation is not to tell you what to believe or what to do or how to do it, or to say, we're, we're taking biblical womanhood. We're saying it's unreasonable and we're throwing it out with the trash and you don't have to be married and whatever. It's, it's saying that what we need to do is like, maybe the house needs to be rebuilt because the walls were rotted out. You know what I mean? Like maybe mm -hmm. it wasn't built on a firm foundation to use that analogy, but maybe we have to rebuild it with actual scripture and actually apply it correctly within its correct context to our lives and not apply our lives to it and, right. and maybe start from scratch in some of these areas. And maybe it doesn't look like rebuilding your whole entire faith, but I think if we want to truly pursue the truth and truly understand scripture more, understand God and his character more, understand how to be people who follow him and exemplify him, then a lot of times we have to do the work of maybe separating why, first of all, why do I believe this? What is this belief? Where did it come from? Is it tradition? Is it scriptural? Mm -hmm. Is it scriptural? You know, asking those, those difficult questions, not to throw it all in the trash and say, we don't want to do this anymore, but to strengthen our faith. And I know this is what your whole community is, is about, but that's been something that has, as I've asked those questions and asked a lot about my beliefs, it's strengthened my faith so much. Yeah. I've, my faith would not be where it is today, and I would not be pursuing the things I am or pursuing scripture like I am today if I, if I didn't separate those, those cultural beliefs or those traditions mm -hmm. from what, what is actually biblical. Right. So that's, I think, probably an integral part to this conversation, so I'm glad you brought that up. So as we close this down, kind of on that same note, I think one place that we can look to kind of rebuild what biblical womanhood means, um, probably maybe you decide not to use that term or you decide to use another term, but looking like a person who follows Jesus, being a woman who follows Jesus, what does that look like? And maybe what are some examples that we can use? I think looking at different women throughout scripture and seeing, like we've been talking about this whole time, we're not really seeing women who have the same life. A lot of them were mothers and um, were wives, but 
a lot of them had really different circumstances, different situations that they were put in, mm -hmm. um, different positions. And so I think that's a good place to look and see. We don't need to do everything that they did or do everything that the Proverbs 31 woman does, but we can see throughout their lives, their character and the reflections of Christ, the reflections of God and his character in their lives. And so um, I think Deborah is kind of like the poster woman for, I don't even know what I would call it. I guess people who are questioning biblical womanhood, I think, because she doesn't yeah. really fit the mold that a lot of other women fit because we don't, her story really doesn't mention her children. We don't know if she was a mother. Mm -hmm. um, Judges 4 tells us she was a wife, but she is a judge of Israel. She's a prophet. There was only mm -hmm. a handful of female prophets that are mentioned in the Old Testament, and she leads 10,000 warriors, um, and this military commander, Barak, he won't go to battle without her, and they um, fight against the Canaanite army and led by this mm -hmm. guy named Sisera. And then also another really interesting female is introduced to us in that passage, Jael, who ends up assassinating a terrorist at her house. Um, so this is, we know that this passage tells us that these are like women who were doing their, their duties to the Lord, who are biblical women that we can follow, but they look so different than a lot of the other women that we see. They're not a traditional like Ruth or mm -hmm. Esther, Proverbs 31 woman, but the things that we see from them, it's not like we have to lead an army and be a judge and a prophet and assassinate terrorists, but it's that we see their character throughout these passages. Right. I think we see that a lot in the really mixed group of female followers and disciples of Jesus, who mm -hmm. some of them we presume have pretty good evidence to suggest that they were single women, um, some who were businesswomen, some who were married and who were hosting churches in their homes later in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So I think just really when we're looking at scripture, I think we have to really try, which is so hard as people who have our own motivations and our own agendas, we really have to try to separate projecting our ideologies on the Bible and, and do mm -hmm. this, start from scratch and build it up. Yeah. Um, I think that um, one of the things that comes from our putting our, our ideology um, on a pedestal is that uh, we start feeling like, oh, I've got to make sure that I'm being womanly enough or that I'm living up to the standard for womanhood. Uh, and, and so then that also feeds our desire to find examples of women that we feel like, you know, exemplified, redundant, uh, who, who, um, who were, you know, pleasing to God or whatever. And I don't think that that's bad. It, representation matters. And so it's awesome to see somebody uh, with a body like yours who is doing the thing that you want to be doing. That's wonderful and encouraging. And so I'm not uh, discounting that at all. Um, but I'd also say again, um, I don't have to be, I don't have to try to be womanly. I'm a woman because God designed my body that way. Um, he also designed my personality the way he designed it. So that even though 
um, the person I am on the inside of the body he gave me doesn't always like fit the stereotypes that I felt like I was supposed to fit. That's okay. This is the way that God designed me on purpose. Um, so I don't have to like feel this desperation to try to be womanly enough because I'm already, I'm already a woman. <laughs> so I can, it's wonderful when I see women in scripture or when I, you know, can find a, you know, a, a, a female author or a female missionary from history or, you know, any, 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 um, um, w women that can be inspiring and encouraging to me, that's fantastic. Uh, but I can also apply and learn and grow from all of the accounts of men in scripture as well. And that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, water down my femininity or my womanhood, uh, and something that I am beginning to rethink lately that I mean, it might, this might just be a me thing. And so later, if you were like, this isn't really relevant, by all means, cut it out. Um, but I have been realizing that for most of my life, I read scripture uh, looking for like examples of what I'm supposed to do. So I read about David and I'm like, oh my gosh, look what David did. I need to be more like David. Oh my gosh, look what Deborah did. I need to be more like Deborah. Yeah. And I am coming to the realization that like, hey, Deborah's probably not the point of the story of Deborah. <laughs> David's yeah. probably not the point of the story of David. And when we read scripture, we need to be looking for the character of God and who God is and how God is responding. Because even when these people are, even when these people do the right things and they're inspiring and encouraging for us, that's great, but they are not um, perfect and they're not ultimate. And so I don't need to be, I don't need to be like, I'm not a David follower. I'm not a Deborah follower. I'm a Jesus follower. And so, um, the encouragement that I can receive from reading stories about Deborah or JL or any of the other women in the Bible is seeing how a good God related to those fallen women mm -hmm. and the ways that he included them in his work and the ways that he valued them and the ways yeah. that he gifted them. That's encouraging to me because I'm also a fallen woman. It's not that I need to try to be just like Deborah. I need to try to be just like JL. I need to try to be just like friggin' 31 woman, um, yeah. I can just see, I can just observe how God was good to them and how God included them and how he loved them and how he'll do the same thing for me. Um, yeah. And so that opens up the whole of scripture. It doesn't just have to be the woman, the lady passages or the lady characters that are for me. The whole thing is for me if I'm looking for the character of God when I read it. And also men can read the passages. Oh yeah. Yes. Bonus guys. I know that's a little crazy. Yeah. That's, I think yeah. we want to make, I don't know if it's our Americanness or just, just us as people, because we want to see ourselves in stories and we want to like be the main character. We want to mm -hmm. be the guy that is the underdog who wins. I, or if it's just that we want kind of a formula. So like if we do all these steps, just like David did, then we'll turn out like this. And right. so 
uh, yeah, I think we definitely try to make it an equation to follow and we just put ourselves in Deborah's spot and then we'll be just like her instead of understanding scripture. And also, like you said, understanding that we can, believe it or not, we could do a women's Bible study about Paul. We could do it about men, either man or woman in scripture. Right. Because it's not like a prescription or a formula. It's, I, I guess in some ways you could say that it is, but it's not following someone's life and seeing how the Lord is working through their life and taking mm-hmm. a person who is sinful and would would not be in the place that they are without him and would not be um, like the way that God, especially within women in the Bible, I think we see a lot of God just like working through a lot of really complicated and difficult situations and God's redemption and God, his healing power and the way that he used women but also just people to to do his work but just it's we make it so simple we want it to be so simplified and so easy to understand and I just think that it's it's really not and I think that's okay Mm -hmm. and we don't we don't need to find ourselves in scripture we need to find Jesus in scripture we have to stop turning it back to us and and making women's bible studies about us or what we what we should be Mm -hmm. Uh, confirming our ideologies, but making it about like laying down our lives and carrying our cross for Christ. Yeah, absolutely. So good. That was such a good conversation. I think that hopefully this gives people just maybe either kind of permission in their own lives to ask questions about this, or maybe just be a jumping off point for people to think about some things they hadn't before or think about maybe some practices that they have or their church or group has that is kind of the standard for this is how to uh, be a man or woman who follows Jesus and really evaluate where does that come from and Mm -hmm. is it biblical is it a biblical standard or is it something that we are kind of rejecting on other people so Mm -hmm. hopefully this is a good starting point for those topics yeah I hope so too awesome well thank you so much Steph Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. Have a great day.